From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Susan G. Komen has long worked to mobilize our communities to take action. Susan G. Komen's Center for Public Policy serves as the leading voice of more than 3.8 billion breast cancer survivors, 168,000 people living with metastatic disease, and the scientists, healthcare professionals, caregivers, and members of the public who are concerned about breast cancer. Komen works to educate people about public policy issues so they're empowered to become forceful advocates for themselves and their neighbors and then unites their collective voices for maximum impact. Sound government action is critical for making the broad, systemic, and lasting changes we need to save lives and end breast cancer forever. That means that Komen, as a patient advocacy organization with firsthand knowledge of how breast cancer touches people and communities, must advocate at all levels of government. The Center for Public Policy focuses on work to empower people and policymakers with knowledge, connect advocates together, and mobilize everyone to act for lasting change. Joining us today is Molly Guthrie, Senior Director, Public Policy and Advocacy for Susan G. Komen. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, this is great. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you, and I'll, I'll confess this is an area I don't know much about, so I'm going to learn a lot. This is going to be great. But let's start out. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, and how you got involved at Susan G. Komen. Yes. Um, so I might work backwards from those, those questions. So um, I was actually raised around Susan G. Komen. So my mom um, brought what was then the Race for the Cure to Wichita, where I was born and raised, um, and, you know, a forced but willing volunteer at a young age. And so volunteered um, for a while. And then when I was ready to start my professional journey, um, it just so lined up that there was an opportunity at, at Komen um, in Washington, D.C. And so I, I felt like the stars were aligning to be able to work uh, for an organization that I'd been around for so long. And to go into the, the career and the space that I wanted to do as far as public policy. So um, I, I started with Komen back in 2009 um, and, you know, have been around now for uh, almost 12 years, um, both in Washington, D.C. and now in Dallas. And in my role now, I oversee all of our policy and advocacy work. So we really talk about it in three buckets. So we mm -hmm. have the work that happens in Washington, D.C., uh, probably the, the work that gets the most attention when you think about policy and advocacy, uh, but then also great work that happens at the state level. Um, and then most importantly to me is uh, engaging our grassroots and the advocates and the patients um, and survivors on the ground uh, to really complement uh, our work with the legislatures. Wow. That's fascinating. Okay. And so I would imagine there's just a massive amount of work to be done and a massive number of issues that are, that are really important. So how does the center for public policy determine the issues that they'll work on and why is this so important? So another great question. And, you know, unfortunately over my 
time at Komen, it seems like that list of issues that we need to work on uh, has just continued to, to grow and expand. Um, but also knowing that we can't work on every single issue that comes across if we want to really see change happen and we want to be addressing um, issues. And so maybe five or six years ago, we implemented uh, what we call our issue vetting and selection process, which is a, a pretty a detailed in the weeds process that takes uh, about six months to get through. Um, but the real take home from that process is that it's really guided from um, the ground up. So mm. we start with a survey to all of our advocates, the entire Komen community to hear what the issues are that are impacting them the most, because we want to be working on issues that will truly have an impact and, you know, save lives rather than make assumptions on, on what needs to be done and do something top down. And so right. we started this process. Um, it happens every two years now. So um, from there, we um, this past January launched our 2021 and 2022 uh, issue priorities. Again, for, for someone that doesn't live and breathe this, the reason it's on a, a two-year cycle is because we follow the federal government. So each Congress runs two years. Gotcha. Um, and so that's how we we came to the two-year decision. It just wasn't randomly selected. Um, right, right. But our, our current priorities really focus on three different issue areas. One, accelerating research. So ensuring that governments are, are um, contributing and chipping in for the cost of research, but also looking at clinical trial access, education, availability. Our second bucket is around ensuring access to care. So uh, making sure that there are inroads for people to get health insurance, whether that be Medicaid or private insurance or Medicare, um, but ensuring that there's a way to get into care. Mm. Um, but we also know, unfortunately, that just getting healthcare, health insurance doesn't magically make everything better. Right. Um, and that there's still a lot of barriers that exist for patients. And so our, our last bucket of issues is really focused around alleviating that patient burden. So ensuring mm. once people get into care and get access, that we work to eliminate barriers, um, whether they be for screening or diagnosis or treatment, um, so that people can actually get the care they need when when they need it. A, a novel idea, but something that takes a lot of work to get to. Yeah, and so important. I mean, so important. And you're and you're doing so much good in the world with the advocacy that you're working through. So, uh, so I'm curious then, what are some specific legislation issues that you're working on uh, that Coleman's currently leading? So I would uh, probably pick out two, um, maybe three, where, where we're really leaning in um, and, and leading the effort. So the first is around um, access to diagnostic imaging. Uh, mm. So the Affordable Care Act, which was passed a decade ago, I just celebrated its, its anniversary, um, but within the ACA, there were provisions included that eliminated the out-of-pocket cost for patients for screening mammography, um, which is a, a great improvement and a step forward. Uh, but once that law started getting implemented, uh, it became very clear that really all that did was kick the can a little further down the road. So mm. if you 
you know, are, go and get your screening mammogram and there's something suspicious on that mammogram. Um, if you're a recent uh, breast cancer survivor, if you're showing symptoms, then um, your provider often uh, suggests that you get a diagnostic imaging exam done. And that diagnostic imaging, even though it's part of the, the diagnosis process, comes with significant out-of-pocket costs for patients. Mm. And so, uh, you know, the ACA, the intention was to uh, detect cancers earlier, uh, but unfortunately what it's done is people get the screening mammogram, find out there's something suspicious, and then have to find the funds to be able to afford the diagnostic to know if they need um, a biopsy and Mm. to know if they have cancer. So um, obviously not ideal. So Coleman... um, at the state level, a few years ago, started introducing legislation that just takes away or eliminates the out-of-pocket costs for medically necessary diagnostic imaging. Mm. Um, and so it's something um, that we've seen success in. Um, we, before this year, had passed it in five states. Um, Arkansas actually just passed. We're waiting for the governor's signature. Um, And then probably about 10 more states had introduced legislation um, during the 2021 session. And uh, again, without going too far in the weeds, but nothing is easy when it comes to health insurance. So um, the state bills aren't enough uh, because there are state regulated insurance plans, but then there are federally regulated insurance plans. Um, And so in addition to the state bill, we are also pushing for federal legislation that would eliminate that that cost sharing, but you you have to have have to have both, um, and then there are still a few loopholes that exist, unfortunately. Mm. But wow, um, working to ensure that people can get get their diagnosis um, and get into treatment as timely as possible. Yeah, but That's we also important. yeah. Um, then we also know that it's not just on the screening and diagnosis side, right? Once you get in. If you're you're diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer, and um, then you require treatments, um, those treatments come with significant, most often come with significant out-of-pocket costs as well. And so we work within coalitions on several issues uh, to reduce that out-of-pocket cost. Um, But after hearing from our patients again, we decided to take uh, the initiative to take it a step further. So Komen has led legislation again at the state level that um, if you are a stage four or metastatic uh, breast cancer patient, insurance does not have the ability to put you through step therapy. So I feel like I'm using so many wonky terms, but step therapy uh, is also known as fail first. And so the idea of that protocol is, you know, physician prescribes you a, a treatment the insurance company or the PBM or whomever decides that that treatment is potentially too expensive, or there's another one that they want you to try. Um, And so a patient is forced to take that drug, have that drug fail them. Um, In some cases that has to happen multiple times before they can get access to the treatment that was originally prescribed by their, by their Mm. physician, uh, which is a, you know, horrible practice, in, in my opinion, for everyone, uh, but right. especially uh, especially just bad and, and gross mm. for those with metastatic disease um, that have such specialized treatment 
but also, you know, don't have time to waste failing a drug for 30 yeah. or 60 or 90 days right. uh, before they can do that. So we're working to, like I said, outright prohibit that practice for mm. uh, metastatic patients. Oh man, I love that. And and, and I'm, I'm glad you're doing that work because I, I agree that that does not seem like a good plan. So, so I'm curious as we're gaining momentum through the pandemic here, how, how has the current pandemic changed your priorities over the last 12 months? So it's made it interesting. Um, I think it's maybe evolved our priorities, but to some extent just made them the issues that we were working on even more important. So I think, you know, any of us that were watching the news saw, you know, the, the coverage around people not getting their screening done either because, you know, they didn't want to go to clinics or um, clinics and facilities had to repurpose, especially during, you know, the, the uh, heat of the, the virus and that, you know, uh, resources were being redirected mm-hmm. rightfully so to um, address the needs of, of COVID patients. Um, but, you know, with that comes a, a backlog of, of screening. And um, so ensuring that people have access to screening is critically important and even more yeah. so right now. Uh, but that also brings up the importance of coverage for diagnostic imaging as well, uh, mm-hmm. because when people delay their screening, they often go in finally when they're showing symptoms um, and then require that diagnostic imaging. Hmm. It's also um, exasperated disparities that we have long seen in the the breast cancer space. So Mm -hmm. um, when you look at breast cancer mortality, uh, black women die at a 40% higher rate than white women. Um, And that was very similar for what we saw in in COVID across the board. And so- Um, you know, a, a longtime priority of, of ours at the Center for Public Policy, but um, because of the eye-opening um, data that's coming out of COVID, there's more willingness for lawmakers to address some of those underlining causes of these disparities, um, mm-hmm. like systemic racism, social determinants of health, um, a, a lot of those long-time issues that exist um, that people have not been super willing um, to work towards and address, uh, but the, the tide seems to be turning a bit um, in light of, you know, the, the impact and outcomes that we've yeah. seen with COVID. No, that's good. That's good. And, and so, you know, with, with so many competing priorities, how do you draw attention to Coleman's priorities? And are there any specific advocacy tactics that have given you particular success? So I, th- I think there's a few, um, but probably the, the most impactful tool that we have um, as patient advocacy groups mm-hmm. are patient stories and the patient community, whether they be someone in active treatment, a survivor, um, a family member of someone that's had a disease, uh, just really putting a face to the issue. So if you think about lawmakers, um, whether they be in state capitals or in Washington, D.C., they're seeing, you know, hundreds to thousands of different bills and pieces of legislation every every session that they're in. And so you have to find something 
that makes you stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the strongest tool in, in our toolbox is being able to put a face to the words on the paper, right? For the diagnostic imaging legislation, for example, um, it's not just words and insurance reform that we're, we're looking for. It, it's a true human impact. Right. Um, and that's something that, you know, some of the other industries might not necessarily have um, yeah. that, that we do have in the, the health nonprofit space. And we're making a true impact on, on human life. Uh, and I think that's a, a hard thing to ignore when you're a policymaker. And so part of the reason I think that we've also seen success on a lot of the issues that we work on. Well, I mean, it's the, it's the power of stories, right? We connect Absolutely. with, we connect with stories. That's why we have a lot of stories on this show because we can connect and we can empathize. And I think it, it gives to your point, it gives you a lot of power in how you tell and how you advocate based on those stories. So uh, Molly, this has been so good. My my last question to you, how can our listeners become involved in these efforts and help affect change? Yes. So, you know, I think the, the easiest thing is to get involved. You know, I think it, as you shared at the beginning, you know, policy and advocacy was something that you don't know a lot about and, and you're in, in good company, right? And And people also can feel intimidated uh, as far as using their voice and the impact that they can have. But truly one, one person can make a legislator uh, push a bill, they can make it them support a bill. Um, and so, you know, feeling empowered to use your voice uh, is the best thing that you can do. Uh, and through the Center for Public Policy, we have uh, an easy way for people to get involved. Um, it's called our Advocacy Insider Program. And, and from that, you get uh, an email or text message that tells you when something might be happening at the state level and we need you to use your voice or something's happening federally. Uh, and all you have to do is, is click one button and you can uh, email your, your legislators. You can post about it on social. Um, on social media like Facebook and uh, Twitter and, you know, make your voice heard and, uh, you know, convenient, convenient timing. We're actually getting ready to host our, our national Komen advocacy summit uh, focused on, on change in Washington, DC. And so we will be having a a day of action um, next week. And so if you sign up to become an advocacy insider, you'll have the opportunity to take action um, that day along with thousands of other individuals on some of the issues that I've talked about today. Um, and it's it's very easy. Uh, knowing that we were gonna be on, on here, we set up a keyword. And so all someone needs to do is text real pink, R-E-A-L-P-I-N-K to 40649. And that gets you into the system. And um, it's a, a great, easy way to start uh, being involved in the process and uh, to potentially decrease that intimidation factor that often exists in this work. I love that. I love that. Listen, say that again. Uh, text real pink. And what's that number again? 40649. All right. So text real pink to 40649 to get involved today. That's real pink to 40649. Molly, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, I, I genuinely appreciate the work that you're doing. 
Thank you for trying to improve people's lives through the, the advocacy and the policy work that you're doing. And thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.